have ungodly people in our life, where is the gray area where we can be, as good Christians, example for them, to show them the light? There is difference between befriending ungodly people and hanging around them, or just uh, we are with them like in a class or in work, and we keep like professional boundaries with them. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, I wrote to you, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Then he explained, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous, extortioners, idolaters, since then you would need to go, go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. A brother means a believer who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater, etc. So why a brother? Because brother, we have fellowship together. It's a strong bond. It's like a friendship. So when I have fellowship with ungodly Christian, ungodly believer and close to him, this will affect me because bad company corrupt good moral. But in the world, in school, in work, neighborhood, we are surrounded with ungodly people. We need to be kind to them. We need to show them the light of Christ. But we need to keep healthy boundaries. But about maybe another one will ask, but we have responsibility toward these ungodly people to bring them to repentance especially if they are believers. If somebody is drowning, who will actually try to help him? A person who knows how to rescue people and you know how to swim very well. But if a person is not expert in this, he will drown with him. If there is a fire, the firefighters are trained to help the people. If anyone just jump it into the fire to help them, he will be burdened with them. That's what St. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So not anyone. He said, go and restore him. He said, you are spiritual. Those who are trained and qualified to help the ungodly people. And how to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, not a spirit of judgment or condemnation, or I am better than you. And the third point, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So I watch like a firefighter, he watch for himself lest he is burned. And again, a person who is swimming or rescuing somebody, he has watched himself lest also he will drown with the person. So he made three conditions here. You who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So for a regular Christian, I need to be separate from the friends, from those who are believers, those who are in the body of Christ, if they are living a life of ungodliness. But the church has responsibility towards these people to send them spiritual, to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, considering themselves. 
the rest point, what's the definition of unbelief? All of us who are sinners. But a sinner who, who actually insists not to repent, that is the ungodly company. But a person who is living life of repentance, all of us who are sinners, all of us every day we fall several times. So all of us who are sinners in a way or another. But when St. Paul said bad company, he's speaking about people who insist to live against God, insist to live away from Christ, to kick Christ outside the door and to live ungodly life. What is the best way to deal with someone that wants to hurt you and very malicious about it? Number one, I need to make sure that my perception is right. I'm not paranoid, but my perception is right. Number two, I need to forgive this person and not to repay evil with evil, like King David with King Saul. King David never repaid the evil with evil. There was an opportunity for him to kill King Saul, but he refused to do this. Number three, David set healthy boundaries with King Saul. He said to Jonathan, I cannot be around because your dad is determined to kill me. So setting healthy boundary and protecting yourself, nothing wrong with it. There is difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is a conditional, but forgiveness is unconditional. So if somebody wants to hurt me and he is very malicious about it, I have to protect myself. I have to take healthy boundaries as David did with King Saul. But in the same time, I will not repay evil with evil. I will forgive him. And in the Sermon on the Mountain, the Lord told us, pray for those who want to hurt you. Please apply this. It will help you a lot. Yes, you need to set boundaries and to protect yourself. But pray for those who want to hurt you. And this actually will, in itself the prayer, you will build like a fence around you to shield you and to protect you from all the conspiracy of the enemies. King Saul, with all his army, were against David, but they could not hurt him because he was protected by prayer. What should you do if you are tired, but you haven't finished your canon yet, your spiritual canon, your spiritual rule? A lady or a widow, all what she had was the two mites. And she gave the two mites from her needs. Other people have a lot of abundance and they paid a lot of denarius. And the Lord, when he looked at this widow, he said she paid more than the rest because she paid from her needs. So if you are so tired and all what you can offer to God, the two mites, like this widow, God will accept these two mites more than the denarius of people who have a lot of time. But you need to think first, I am tired in what? Did I waste my day? If you wasted a lot of time all the day, that's why you came at night and you are so tired and you could not finish your canon. 
then there is something wrong here. You did not manage your time. But if you are too tired out of your hand, you are involved in so many classes, many studies, etc., etc. And at the end, all what you can offer uh, in prayer, just maybe 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you cannot offer more than this. So offer what you can to the Lord and tell him, these are, these are my two mites. I wish and I love to give more, but these are my two mites. And the Lord will say, if you are honestly not wasting your time, because God cannot be deceived, God will say to you, your two mites are more than, you know, the denarius of others, because you give from your own needs, but they give from their abundance. Why did God choose to be crucified and not die another less terrible death? It would have had the same outcome, right? No, not right. I will give a quick answer, but if you want to have a comprehensive answer, I encourage you to read the Incarnation of the Logos by Saint Athanasius, because he answered in a very comprehensive way why God chose to be crucified. But, number one, God wants to, to carry our curse. As it's written in the Old Testament, cursed is he who is hung on a wood. So that's why the Lord was hung on a wood, in order to carry our curse, so he can set us free from the curse. Also, the Lord wants to be slaughtered, but without breaking any bone without breaking any bone because the church is one, is not broken. So if he is beheaded, then there will be bones breaking. So the only way to shed all this blood as a slaughtered lamb, but without breaking any wound is to be crucified because all his body was bleeding, you know, from the scourge on his back and uh, from the nails, from the crown of thorn. So actually, he was slaughtered. All his blood, take drink my blood, this is shed. So all his blood was shed on the cross. That's a uh, second reason. Also, as St. Paul mentioned in his letter to Ephesians chapter 2, that Satan is the prince of the air. Satan, when he fell from heaven, he actually dominated or, or he's established his kingdom or his authority in the air. As you read in Ephesians chapter 2, St. Paul said in verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Like in any game, when actually you defeat your enemy in his country, in his place, this is more victory. So the Lord actually wanted to defeat Satan in his kingdom, in his, the place of his authority. And since he is the prince of the power of the air, that's why the Lord actually 
died on the cross in order to defeat Satan on the cross. Another reason he won't, as St. Paul also explained in Ephesians chapter 2, God made reconciliation on two levels. The horizontal level, as he mentioned in Ephesians 2.16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. So first, he reconciled the Jews with the Gentiles, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Enmity between Jews and uh, Gentiles. So, as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So he created in himself one new man from the two, from the Jews and Gentiles. Then, that he might reconcile them both to God, that's the vertical, in one body through the cross. So through the cross, there is a union on the horizontal level between Jews and Gentiles, between the man and his brother, to make one man in himself, then he reconciled both with God the Father, that's the vertical, through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. So th there is no enmity. Also, they said he stretched his hand on the cross like this to say, whoever comes to me will never be rejected. Whoever comes to me, I will accept him. So he is opening his hand on the cross to embrace anyone who comes to him. And the sign that was a sign of curse, a sign of shame, now became a sign of victory to all the children of God. But I encourage you to read the incarnation of the Logos by Saint Athanasius. Are we called to be proactive Christian or wait to receive direct question to be defend our faith and stand for what we believe? Definitely we are called to be proactive. For example, in Sunday school, we need to teach our children about creation before they go to school and learn about evolution. So being proactive here will protect our children. We need to explain to our children the Orthodox faith because they go to school and receive false doctrines. We need to teach them about the, the creation and how God created two genders and how the marriage as established by God is between male and female and how we should honor and love our gender whether God created me a male or female before they go to school and read about you know homosexuality and transgenderism and, and all these things we need to teach them about the value of life before they go and learn about abortion and etc so being proactive will protect ourselves and our children from all the attacks of the devil that's surrounding us right now. Okay, what is a Christian response to intersex, hermaphrodite people? Our faith tells us there is only one man and woman, but what about the ones who come into the world with both sexes? Actually, the true Hermaphrodite is very, 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 very rare. I can check 
and tell you what is the percentage, but it's very rare. But I want to clarify, some people are born not hermaphrodite, but they are born with some anatomical anomalies. The percentage is 1 in 50,000. That's the percentage. If a person was born with some anatomical anomalies in his genitalia, we do what we call Bakker smear to know what his genes is. If his genes are XX, then he is a female. If his genes are XY, then he is male. The XXY, that's the hermaphrodite, or XXXY, these are very, very rare conditions. Very rare conditions. And it is decided on the chromosomes, not on your feeling. What you feel? Do you feel you are female or male? It's not. It's sized by the chromosomes. And as I told you, the percentage of XXY or XXXY, that's very, very rare. Very rare. And these people are treated. XXY or XXY, they are treated. But if a person is XX and he needs some surgery to correct any anatomical anomalies in his genitalia, it can be corrected or he is XY, but it should be corrected according to the chromosomes by either XY or XX. I tend to dwell on God's justice rather than his love, and it almost makes me feel scared of God. Do I just not have enough love in my heart to have the ability to love him? I think you have a misperception about God. Maybe when you are growing in your house or in the church, people, they scared you, make you scared of God. God will be upset, God will... Sometimes when we raise our children in the wrong way, we plant in their heart a wrong perception about God. But the Bible tells us that His justice and His mercy, His love, you know, have kissed each other. So His love is full of justice and His justice is full of love. You cannot separate. If you focus only on the love of God, that's not right. If you focus only on His justice, that's not right. Because His love and His justice, you know, have kissed each other, as we say in the book of Psalms. So, when Satan tempts you only by the justice of God, not His love, remind yourself with all the verses that speak about the love of God and how His justice is full of love and his love is full of justice. I have problem with pride. I'm aware of it, but cannot seem to stop thinking this way. What can I do? Number one, ask the grace of God, because you cannot overcome any sin in your life without the grace of God. So in your prayer, ask God to give you a humble heart. Number two, you need actually to do the exercises of humbleness. Let me give you a rule in any virtue. Any virtue, we can apply it on the level of the mind or on the level of the heart. What do I mean by this? Think about love. God told us, love your enemy. Maybe at my heart, on the level of my heart, I hate my enemy. How can I love him? So it's difficult. But I can make a decision with my mind to love my enemy. 
Make a decision means, as St. Paul said in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him drink. So I will do the works of love. When I do the works of love, and God sees me faithful, then he will transform this love from the level of the mind to the level of the heart. And God will give me grace in my heart to be able to love my enemy. Again, pride. Do the works of humbleness. Meaning what? Obey. Serve others. Give honor to others. Put them in front of you. Choose to be the last of all and servant of all. Even if you don't feel it in your heart. But do it genuinely. Not in a hypocritical way. Do it genuinely. And when God actually sees that you are doing this genuinely and faithfully, He will transform your heart. Stay away from speaking about yourself. Stay away from asking praise for yourself. So do the works of humbleness. And when God actually sees that you are doing the works of humbleness faithfully, He will change your heart. Why is God not granting me the things I ask? I know this is bad, but sometimes I see other people who don't attend church as often or are not as close to God achieve the things I desire. You need to trust the love of God. And you need to trust that whether He grants you or does not grant you, it's for the best because all things work out for good to those who love God. I'm sure during the time of Zachariah and Elizabeth, many people asked for children, and God granted them children, but Zachariah and Elizabeth did not get children until their old age, and they gave up. And maybe during this time, Satan attacked them with the thought, why God is answering to other people, and we are living as much as we can righteously in the fear of God, and He doesn't grant us. But at the end, God gave them the greatest among those born of women, John the Baptist, who baptizes the Lord Jesus Christ. So, trust God. We say in our prayer, Thy will be done. Trust His will. Sometimes what we ask for is not good for us. Believe me, many times we believe it's good for us, but they are not. Trust God with His decision, with His choices for you. And you will live a happy life. Another question related to the previous question. If we are praying for God's will above our will, can we do something that messes up His plan for us? For example, I'm praying for His will in my career and everything in my life. One of the beautiful verses in Psalm, I think 147, the last Psalm in the first hour of the Agbeya, God guides those who drift from the way. God actually guides those who miss the way. Meaning what? If sincerely in your heart, actually you want the will of God to be done in your life. Sincerely. And then as you said, you messed up. God will redirect your way. Sometimes I like to think about God's guidance to us like the GPS. When actually you miss your way, so the GPS will tell you detour. 
go this way. They correct you immediately. God in his love correct us immediately. But we need to be submissive to his will. So don't be worried or scared that I want his will, but I did something out of weakness that will mess up God's plan. No, God will guide you. How can we know the will of God in our life? Four things. Keep praying. Have acquired the mind of Christ. For example, if you have a very close friend and I ask you, what do you think your friend will do in this situation? You will know. In the same way, if you acquire the mind of Christ, you will know what is well for you. Number three, ask spiritual guidance and direction and people to pray for you. Number four, use your mind. God give us the mind to use it. So if you are making choices, think about what is the choice that will make you closer to God. Not what the choice that you like. I remember after I finished uh, my high school, I went to visit a monastery in Egypt and during summer vacation, and my dream was to get into medical school. So I went to Abuna and the monastery prayed for me to get into medical school. And he surprised me with his answer. He told me, no, I will pray that God will get you into the school that will make you grow in your life with Christ. That his response to me was. So think you, use your mind and do analysis between all the choices, which one will make your life closer to God. So if you apply these four things, you will know the will of God. But let me tell you something. There is a revealed will of God and there is a personal will of God. God wants us to love one another. God wants us to worship Him. God wants us to forgive one another. If you don't apply the revealed will of God, why He would reveal the personal will for you? Why He would reveal to you that He wants you to do this specific in your life? So again, living according to the revealed will of God, according to His commandment, will make God actually reveal to you His personal will in your life. When we pray with sin's intercession for spiritual things, do they happen eventually if we pray for God's will through their intercession? Will it happen? Yes, for spiritual things, yes, they will happen. But sometimes I pray, but in my heart, I'm not doing the right thing. But if I'm praying and doing the right thing, spiritual things, yes, yes, it will happen. What can we do in confession time or in our life to make sure we are growing closer to God? How can we acquire virtues in spiritual practices for humility, love, gratefulness? In confession, we examine ourselves in relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship with ourselves. And to grow closer to God, you need actually to keep applying the means of grace. All of you know prayer, scripture, going to the church, confession, fasting, prostration, spiritual reading. That's what we call spiritual canon or spiritual rule. Ask the spiritual father. These are like means of grace. Means of grace what? This activity will make you inside the sphere of the grace of God. Then you will grow every day. Like how you grow physically. You eat healthy food. 
If you don't, you will not grow physically. And you protect yourself from illness. If you are ill, you will get the right medicine. In the same way, feed yourself spiritually, and when there is spiritual illness, repent and confess it. Then you will grow closer to God. As servants in Sunday school, we are guided to teach the kids that we receive the Holy Spirit in baptism. In my last visit to the monastery, the topic of baptism came up and one of the fathers mentioned that we actually don't receive the Holy Spirit in baptism since the divine nature is above all and through all and in all. But rather it is a metaphorical reinstitution of receiving the Holy Spirit. It was also mentioned that, as you know, baptism is not a symbol. It is truly essential. Is it still okay to teach our kids to receive the Holy Spirit in baptism? Is there anything that I incorrectly phrased? We receive the Holy Spirit actually in the sacrament of chrismation, not in the sacrament of baptism. In baptism, we are washed from our sins, we receive the sonship. But in the sacrament of chrismation, when Abuna actually anoint me with the holy oil, that is when I receive actually the, the Holy Spirit. Some people start to say, what I do receive? I'm receive the hypostasis of the Holy Spirit. I'm receiving a grace of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what, what I'm receiving? All these questions are wrong questions because it's a mystery. Mystery means something beyond my understanding, my comprehension. And if the Lord said, receive the Holy Spirit, then I receive the Holy Spirit. What do I receive exactly? It's a mystery. I don't understand. I think this type of philosophical analysis or try to, to, to say what I'm receiving, it is not the Holy Spirit, it is metaphorical, it's three institutions. These just are philosophies that actually make the person on the verge of adopting false teaching or false doctrine. That's why we even we don't call them sacraments, we call them mysterion, mysteries. Mysteries means something beyond our comprehension. But if the Lord said, receive the Holy Spirit, then I receive the Holy Spirit. If the Lord said, receive the Holy Spirit, I receive the Holy Spirit. So you need to, to continue to teach your kids that you receive the Holy Spirit, but in chrismation, not in baptism. That's a correction you need to do. If a guy approached me who is struggling in his journey with Christ, but trying to grow closer to him, Yet at the moment I'm more spiritually mature than him, would it be unwise for me to enter into relationship with him? I prefer to check with your spiritual father because your spiritual father knows your spiritual maturity and whether you can help this person or not. So check with your spiritual father, but don't argue with him. If he told you no, then it is no. If he told you yes, then it is yes. What is the process or the first step to convert to orthodoxy? You need to study what orthodoxy is. You need to study what orthodoxy is and 
this would be the first step. How can you convert to orthodoxy without knowing what orthodoxy is and how it is different from Catholicism or Protestantism? How do you respond to other denominations when they say that saying hail to Mary or praising the saint is uh, praying to idols? Mary herself said, all generation will call me blessed. And it's the verse in the Bible. And again, how can we deny this verse? If St. Mary herself said, all generation will call me blessed. Number two, if we can praise one another, and we can commend one another, why we don't commend the saint? Didn't St. Paul say, look at the end of their life and learn from their life in Hebrews chapter 13. So looking at the end of their life and learning from them, isn't it this in itself praising them and learning from them? In Hebrews 13 verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Outcome of their conduct means they, they passed away, they are not living. And he told us, learn from them, follow their faith. So doesn't this mean to praise them and venerate them? In Hebrews chapter 12, he spoke, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. So cloud of witnesses, he, those whom he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and all of them were departed and St. Paul in chapter 11 Hebrew 11 he praised many many men of faith so was he worshipping idol St. Paul he said about them who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained the promises stopped the mouth of the lion quenched the violence of fire etc. until he said of whom the world was not worthy of whom the world was not worthy and all these have obtained a good testimony through faith so obtained good testimony what does it mean testimony from whom from us so how, how yani, other denominations who say we follow the teaching of the scripture how they follow the teaching of the scripture and they are denying the teaching of the scripture. Definitely nothing wrong with this. And there are many verses, but just I mentioned this verse as a reference. What how Simpson defeated the Philistine but also killed himself in the process considered suicide? No, not considered suicide. Because sometimes people when they go into war, they are killed. They don't want to be killed, but that is the only way to defend your country or to defend, yeah, like in case of Simpson. They gave the credit and the honor to their idol that he defeated the God of Israel. That's why he said, God, help me to honor your name and to, to let them. It's not through the power of their idol, but it's through your power. They were defeated. And nobody can push two pillars uh, or two columns and the whole building will, will collapse. 
So God actually did this. So it's not suicide. How, how can we consider this as a suicide? How would you respond to someone saying the public contradict itself from the Old and New Testament? Take an eye for an eye, love your enemy. Does God change? No. We change. Like, for example, a baby, they don't feed him solid food. They feed him milk. So when they grow up, they can feed them solid food. So the parents change it? No. But what changed the ability of the child? So when we were babes in Christ, we were fed with milk, eye for an eye. Because before this, if somebody blocked my eye, I would kill him. So God in the first step told them, no, it's enough for eye for an eye. And this was not just for the people, it was the judgment. The judge, that's how he makes judgment. This person blocked your eye, then this person, his eye will be blocked. But when we grow in the new covenant, because there is grace in the new covenant, there was no grace in the old covenant. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. So since there is a grace, so God actually is asking us a higher commandment. You, you heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. Why? Because now we have the grace. Don't commit adultery, but now if you look at a woman to lust after her, committed adultery. Because we have the grace. So God doesn't change, but we change. So God took us to a higher level question about monasticism he was asking can you please tell us more about monks journey and what they do to grow spiritually like how can they live like monks and have their peace and closeness to God while we are still in the world also I know they are tested when they are new but what test do brothers sisters go through to become monks or nuns and what are common spiritual battles do they face as novices and throughout the journey? Monasticism is like a spiritual life of any person, but without the distraction. So the person stay away from all the distraction in order to focus only on his relationship with God. As Mar Isaac of Syria said, detachment from all to focus on the one. So he detached from work, he detached from marriage, he detached from friends, he detached from the family, he detached from desire. He tried to detach himself for all, because all these are distraction, in order to focus on his relationship with God. It's not for all, not for everyone. But as the Lord said in Matthew chapter 19, he who can accept it, let him accept it. People in the world, they can live a godly life too. Yani when St. Anthony the Great and St. Macarius were tempted that they are better than people living in the world, the Lord told them, no, there are two wives living together in peace and their spiritual level is more than your spiritual level. So if I walk in the fear of God, whether I'm in the world or in the monastic life, then I am accepted by God and I can reach a high spiritual level. If you want to learn more about monasticism, there is a beautiful book written by His Grace Bishop Metaos, the abbot of Syrian Monastery. It's called Sublimity of Monasticism. 
sublimity of monasticism. You can find it as PDF file on the internet. So just if, if you search sublimity of monasticism by Bishop Mintaus, you can find it. It's one of the beautiful books that will answer all your questions. The last question somebody asking, uh, what does it mean uh, to be metropolitan? In the beginning, actually, not, not right now. The, the bishop of a city called a bishop. The bishop of the state is a metropolitan. So the bishop of the state has bishops of the cities serving with him. And the bishop of the capital is the pope. For example, in Egypt, the bishop of Alexandria and Cairo is his holiness the pope. And the bishop of the provinces or the states are metropolitans. And the bishop of the cities are bishops. But now it's not this way. Now it is given by seniority. According to how many years you spend as a bishop, so when the turn uh, comes to the person, it is honorary. So whether he is a bishop of a city or a state or more than one state, when he, his turn comes, he will be elevated to metropolitan. That's how it is right now. But originally, it was not like this. Originally, the bishop of the city is a bishop. Bishop of province and serving with him bishops, so he's a metropolitan, metropolitan like metroplex, so it's the larger area. So he's a bishop of a larger area and has bishops serving with him. And the Pope is a bishop of the capital. That's the difference between the three. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.